Welcome to the Time Machine with Trish and Mike. I'm Mike. I'm Trish. And we're glad you're with us once again for episode 21. And we will go ahead and preemptively apologize in advance if the audio quality during this episode uh, does not live up to our expectations. Because we, as we have been trying to record this, we have been encountering several issues with our internet connections. So we will power forward and provide you with a fine program for your enjoyment. Yes. Yep. We will endeavor. Yes. Show must go on, doggone it. So, if this year's taught us anything, right? It's about <laughs> you just got to keep going. Just keep swimming. Just swimming. Sorry. Pretty much. That's, that's, that's just how we got to roll here. But we will. How have you yeah. been? Other, no. other, than your, other than your internet. Have you been all right, Trish? Yeah. Things have been, you know, decent. Online schooling continues. You know, we, it's been a, uh, there's been a really um, good couple of sunny days here, plus 20. So that's like 70 to 75 for you guys. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. Yeah. So I was out flying kites with my daughters and we had a picnic and, you know, you just got to find the, you know, the, the little silver linings to pandemic life. Good. Well, that's good. Yeah. yeah I, How about uh, you? <laughs> the complete opposite side of that. So last weekend I wound up going by the mall that that I pretty much grew up going to and I'll um it, it was sad it was literally it was like seven o'clock on a Saturday night and the mall is probably like 40 percent full of stores okay oh so really 60 percent of the stores are closed and of the 40 right. percent that are leased um maybe about 20 percent of them were even open so oh I guess, really I guess they have like you know, reduced hours or whatever, just because there hasn't mm-hmm. been the, but it was like, I'm literally, I'll, I'll, I'll post pictures on our, on our feed, but it was so many just vacancies. And then there are stores that are open, but they've got their gates rolled down. And this is the, the mall closed at eight and this was seven. So it was depressing. And the food court is like literally you're... non-existent. Uh-huh. See, that's the one like, yeah, everyone, it's good that they're following the restrictions and things and keeping people safe, but then at what cost to our economy and like the businesses? And it's just, it is sad to see. To, to be fair, this mall, even prior to COVID, has been on a slow death. Spiral. Oh, a decline? Yeah. Oh, no. Okay. So, but it was. So, all, all things have their time and moment, and maybe that's just it for this place. Yes. But Aww. it is the time and moment for us to move on and uh bring you this fine podcast we will get started with trish today yeah the one that almost got away the one that almost got away and speaking of time and place for all things may 20th 1980 uh there's going to be a referendum uh, held in quebec on a proposal of sovereignty association like what is sovereignty association well basically quebec wanted to uh, go it alone, right, and leave Canada, but yet still have some ties economically with Canada. So it, it was an interesting concept. What was an interesting concept? They wanted to leave. They still wanted to have ties to Canada. Yeah. So they wanted to have independence and like be their own kind of country. 
and have sovereignty, but they still wanted to be able to use like the Canadian dollar and still have access to our military and things like that. So basically they wanted to move out, but they still wanted mommy and daddy to pay the bills. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's going to be a really fascinating, um, you know, journey towards this vote. Uh, luckily they voted, um, 59% against the proposal. So 59% of, of individuals in Quebec wanted to stay within Canada. 41% were in favor of separating and this referendum is actually going to lead to a second referendum in 1995, where it is much closer. So the whole process, though, is, you know, Quebec's always had kind of an iffy, like uh, ugly stepchild kind of reputation in Canada, despite being super ridiculously important to Confederation. But the British government and then, of course, the British individuals that came over and started running the colonial governments before Canada had Confederation in 1867 didn't treat the French people with a lot of respect and dignity and flipped and flopped on policies that protected like their language and religion. So it's kind of understandable that there began to have um, you know, growing resentment within Quebec against the rest of English-speaking Canada. And in the 60s in particular, there's um, what's going to be known in Canadian history as the Quiet Revolution. And so this idea of separating starts to gain more traction. And there's going to be a party called the Parti Quebecois, or PQ for short, that rises to power. And in their 1976 election, they promised to hold a referendum on this idea of sovereign association. Now, what doesn't work out so well for them is the rise of our current prime minister's father, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, who he uh, is going to win the federal election of that time period in 1979. And He's really popular in Quebec. The Trudeaus have always been very popular. And so the Parti Quebecois doesn't want to go against this really influential French prime minister. So they back off on the whole idea. What happens in Canadian history or Canadian politics, I should say, that doesn't happen in American politics is elections can be triggered at any real point in time. Right. You guys only have an election every four years. Right. Depending, uh, we have a presidential election every four years. We do have right. what are called midterm elections where we do vote for new congressmen and women and stuff. But uh, yes, we go by a, a defined election calendar, whereas right. you guys kind of do them eh, whenever you want. We kind of do it whenever you want. You do have to call an election within four years now. There is an election law. But we don't have set terms. So like you guys only have, um, it can be a total of two term president, right? Correct. You can't have a third term. You can be elected president for two four year terms. Four year, now, you right. Technically, you know, if let's say uh, Vice President Kamala Harris were to take over for President Biden at some point during his term, she mm -hmm. was not elected president. Oh, interesting. So she so, could theoretically have two elected terms. Correct. Oh, cool. Okay. I did not realize that. That's interesting. Whereas mm -hmm. here, yeah, you could be like prime minister for like 15 years if the people keep electing you and you stay the leader of the party in power. And there are some positions, not really at a federal level. Well, I mean, well, at a federal right. level, so like you have senators, you're elected for a six-year term, but there's no term limit. So you Okay. There have, there have been senators who have been senators for 40 years. Um, you know, it's like, the uh, current, you know, and at the local levels, you can have mayors for 20, 30 years. It just it all depends. 
Interesting. So yeah, that's not here. And like you said, we can kind of trigger an election whenever, if the, if the house loses confidence in the prime minister's leadership, they can trigger an election. It's usually about um, financial bills. So anything involving, you know, the budget. <laughs> and yeah. I misspoke. It wasn't that Pierre Elliott Trudeau won in the 1979 election. This is when there's going to be a flip in power and the conservatives take over. Hmm. So randomly, there's just another election. And so Pierre Elliott Trudeau's in. The Party Quebecois doesn't want to go against him. Pierre Elliott Trudeau is quickly out. The conservatives are in under Joe Clark. So now the Party Quebecois is like, all right, let's start getting this ball rolling again. Right. And then suddenly 1980 hits and Pierre Elliott Trudeau is back in power as the prime minister. So the Party Quebecois is like, oh, shoot, we've already started rolling this ball. And now we have to go up against this federal because we have provincial government and federal, which is about the whole country. And they have to go up against this kind of juggernaut in Canadian politics. And uh, eventually the Party Quebecois is going to say, you know what, we're calling um, this election. It's going to happen on May 20th. And it's the uh, first day of the National Assembly, right, that it's going to open. The opening of the House of Commons on the same day. And so Trudeau announces the same day that the government of Canada is not going to negotiate any sort of sovereignty association under any circumstances. So right away, both the provincial house and the federal house are opening and having um, preliminary discussions and basically saying, this is what we're going to do. Great. We're not going to support you. So you can see not going so well. And then about six days before the vote, Trudeau is going to show up in Quebec and give a really passionate speech about, you know, how, how he's both Canadian and Quebecois with his name, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, like the mixture, right, of both kind of cultures within Canada. He just starts to give an impassioned plea kind of about, you know, what is the true Canadian identity and how it involves both like the French and the British. And then he starts calling out party Quebecois ministers who actually have British or Irish names and their heritage is coming over around the time of the uh, Irish famine. There was a bunch of immigrants that came over and ended up living in Quebec and being adopted by French families, these orphans that show up. And so they keep their Irish and British names, but are Quebecois, right? They're French. And so there's this really interesting mix. And he just does this plea to them about, you know, hey, this is what the real idea of Canada is, is that these people work together. And it really does work. People, the individuals that were going to vote to leave Canada start to have a change of heart. And so we end up with that vote of 59.56% to remain in Canada and 40.44% for separation. So kind of further apart than what they had hoped for. Now, the leader of the Parti Quebecois, René Levesque, addresses his supporters and he's very upset. And he's just like, you know, what I hear from you is that like, we're going to see you next time, that there's going to be another referendum, which they do have in 1995. Now, I remember this because, of course, in 1980, I'm just a twinkle in my daddy's eye. I'm not around. Right. Right. But 1995, I'm in grade five. And my parents, my mom in particular, is quite politically minded. And I remember that she was so nervous about this vote and she stayed up all night 
to make sure that Quebec was going to stay within Canada. And she was just like a wreck watching this thing. So we were talking about it in our house, but it was super close because it ended up being 49.4% to separate and 50.6% to remain in Canada. So it actually became like a, almost a reality that Quebec was going to leave Canada. And then there was all this discussion on what was going to happen to the maritime provinces. Like was my province of Nova Scotia going to join America? People were throwing out ideas all over the place with this situation. I could have been American, right? Would would make traveling a lot easier for you right now. It would make (laughs) it so much easier. I have like a friend who's getting married in Los Angeles next year. And she's like, so when are you going to come? And it's like, "Um, I can't even really travel in my own country right now. So I don't know when I can get to yours. (laughs) You said it's next March is the wedding. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would think you'll be okay by then, but I, who knows? I am like so disheartened. I think our, nope. Come on internet. I believe in you. You're, You're good now. You're good now. Go ahead. Okay. So really this whole referendum and how close it was wakes up the Canadian federal government to how they have to woo Quebec kind of back into confederation. And they've clearly done a good job because as of a poll in 2018, a full 82% of Quebec uh, by an Angus Reid Institute poll agree that Quebec should stay in Canada. So they've obviously done an amazing job to go from, you know, almost 50% of the people wanting to leave to now 85 or 82% wanting to stay. That was going to be my question is it had to come up since then but i guess the answer is no people are happy being one giant canadian land one giant canadian land but there is still a separatist party right the bloc de quebecois is the party in quebec that wants to still pursue separation but they don't get very many elected officials into the house of commons and so quebec stays in canada quebec stays in canada which i am ultimately happy because there's so much history in terms of um you know, the foundations of Canada really, as much as people talk about like Newfoundland and the maritime provinces, Quebec is so important on so many different levels. And the people themselves influenced Canadian history so drastically, like it would just be an utter shame to lose them. Yeah. And not to mention the international nightmare that that would create traveling just within Canada, you know, because if you're well, that's go ahead. I was gonna say that's why there was this whole like, do the other maritime provinces stay part of Canada? Do they become their own country? Do they join America? Like people didn't know what to do about traveling across Canada suddenly if Quebec was just gone. Yeah, you just remove like, like a, dra- a main puzzle piece of the puzzle. Yeah. I mean, well, you're just going to build like a giant bridge that goes all the way across Quebec to, to connect you to I, Ontario? We could go that route. I think that leads into our next story, though. It does, because we connected uh, Manhattan and Brooklyn back in May 24th, 1883, the Brooklyn Bridge in New York City was opened after construction that lasted for 14 years. That's really crazy. I One, first of all, I, des- I guess I never really figured that the Brooklyn Bridge was that old, but it's actually even older if you calculate the 14 years previous to actually starting the construction. Yeah. And at the time it opened, it was the longest suspension bridge in the world. Ooh, I see engineering and architecture in general are just fascinating. Like the math that has to go into building and designing this type of structure is really cool. Especially then, because math hasn't changed. Two plus two is four as it was 
500 years ago. That part of it hasn't changed. But just when you have to think that this was all done by hand, as far as drawing out diagrams and blueprints and so on, whereas nowadays, you know, we have computer systems that can render all this and you throw it in there and it's a completely different process from what it was. Yeah, and you have to factor in so many different things, right? Like the the ocean tides and the wind and Yeah. It's just so really incredible. The bridge, the deck of the bridge sits 127 feet above the East River and it connects Manhattan Island and Brooklyn, so people can get from Long Island over to Manhattan Island. That's mm-hmm. it's quite busy as you would imagine. The original name of the bridge was the New York and Brooklyn Bridge. And was sometimes called the East River Bridge before officially adopting the name Brooklyn Bridge in 1915. I honestly can't imagine it being called anything else. I know. Originally, there were two lanes going in each direction. Mm -hmm. And obviously, this bridge opened in 1883. We don't have automobiles yet. So the original passengers were on horse-drawn carriages. Just think of the mess on the bridge. (laughs) Right. And so once the automobiles became more popular uh, in 1922, motor vehicles were actually banned from the bridge at one point. Uh, and it was only horse drawn carriages and rail cars and trolleys were operating on the bridge. Oh. However, since 1950, the bridge has continued to carry six lanes. Now it expanded to six lanes total of automobile traffic. That is like a big bridge. I didn't even realize it was that many lanes. And due to height and weight restrictions, commercial vehicles and buses are prohibited from using the Brooklyn Bridge. I was going to say like back in the 1800s when they're designing this bridge, they're definitely not thinking of vehicles or transport trucks or anything that's going to be carrying a significant amount of weight. Right. Pedestrians, of course, can use the bridge. There are designated pedestrian areas on the sides. And in fact, a center line was painted in 1971 to separate pedestrians from cyclists. So therefore created one of the city's first dedicated bike lanes. And at times throughout history, when subway services have been suspended, such as mm-hmm. blackouts in the 60s, 70s, and 2000s, and after the September 11th attacks, people in mass began walking across the bridge because you couldn't use See, the subway. You had to walk. And that's... That's what I imagine, like, that's one of the images of the Brooklyn Bridge in my mind, because, of course, watching 9-11 live and just watching the stream of people going across the bridge. Yeah. In fact, during the blackouts in 2003, the higher than usual pedestrian load actually caused the bridge to begin swaying because there were so many people walking on the bridge that there, because you have more feet moving, you eventually started getting more people stepping in sync with each other and that caused the bridge to begin to sway that is like the stuff of nightmares <laughs> yeah i would like lose it if i was on that bridge there was some concern that this caused damage to the bridge but they inspected it and it's fine due to the three support systems that make up the bridge the suspension system the diagonal stay system and the stiffening truss it's probably it's believed that it's considered one of the most secure bridges for such an event. In fact, one of the designers back in the 1800s, John Roebling, said the bridge would sag, but it wouldn't fall because of all the redundancies that were built into the bridge. 
I mean, if you're going to build something, you got to build it that strong. Yes. And it's a popular site. Of course, you see it in movies a lot, but those a popular site for tourists. So couples like to go and take a lock and inscribe, you know, their anniversary date or their initials on it, attach the lock to the bridge and throw the key in the river as a sign of their love. Well, this practice is officially illegal in New York City, and the New York Police Department can give you a $100 fine for doing it. So the moral of the story is if you are a couple and you're planning on doing this, just, you know, bring a hundy in your pocket just in case. Make sure the NYPD is not around when you do it. Right. That's pretty cool. Since 19, sorry, since 1883, the bridge has brought people together. See, I just wouldn't have thought that it was as old as it was. Hmm. It's really cool. Mm -hmm. No one else brings people together. Well, it used to, but on May 21st. used to. Yeah, on May 21st, 2017, the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus performed their final show at Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum, which ironically enough is on Long Island. So you could have used the Brooklyn Bridge to go to the show that night. So the Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus was billed as the greatest show on earth. And its lineage dates back to 1871 when P.T. Barnum created P.T. Barnum's Grand Traveling Museum, Menagerie, Caravan, and Hippodrome. And the circus as we knew it in 1919 was when Barnum and Bailey's Greatest Show on Earth merged with Ringling Brothers' World's Greatest Shows. And they continued to operate separately, but in 1919, they merged together to become Ringling Brothers' Barnum and Bailey Circus, which is a really, really, really long name. Yes. But yay, like double the fun. You got these two different organizations coming together to make one fantastic show. Yes. And so after 1957, they abandoned the original big top concept where, you know, they would pop up a tent, you know, a giant circus tent, Mm -hmm. and they would begin using permanent venues such as arenas and stadiums. In 1967, Irvin Feld and his partners bought the circus from the Ringling family. And in 1971, they sold the circus off to Mattel. Yes, the toy people. Oh. Before buying it back in 1981. Now, if Feld Entertainment sounds familiar to you, they're the people who produce shows such as Disney on Ice, Monster Jam, Sesame Street Live, Marvel Universe Live, Jurassic World Live. So like all these shows that we haven't been able to have for the last year that routinely travel around a lot of those are produced by Feld entertainment oh but i wonder why they decided to buy it back like after 10 years they just were like oh shoot let that one go i guess i really don't know so trish what is something of great tourism significance that we have here in florida you have disney yeah i got like i got actually nervous thinking you were gonna ask me a math question (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh we, we can get i was to like i know this question. one we no, can get to no. that question so when disney world opens in 1971 ringling brothers decided to open circus world in haynes circus city which world. is yeah haynes city is a little area just outside of lakeland so it's like 45 minutes to an hour or so depending where you're at from orlando oh they were trying disney to steal world. disney's thunder they were the park was also going to become the winter home for the circus, and they were going to set up a clown college there to train the next generation of circus performers. 
So in August of 1973, they held a groundbreaking ceremony, but due to various delays, mergers, buyouts, and a lot of other stuff, the opening of the complex didn't occur until 1976. At one point, plans included for a 19-story elephant-shaped hotel in Barnum City, which was going to be a state-of-the-art residential community, but neither of those ever came to fruition. The park did open with live circus performances, a movie theater, carousel, Ferris wheel, wooden roller coaster, petting zoo, and other entertainment shows. The park, however, would ultimately close in May of 1986, but all was not lost. The following spring, the park reopened as Boardwalk and Baseball before closing for good less than three years later. So Boardwalk and Baseball was just kind of what it sounds. It was like a 1920s boardwalk themed park with a baseball theme as well they built a baseball stadium where the kansas city royals Mm -hmm. come play spring training and some of their minor league teams played there for several years as well sounds like a like a neat idea but obviously they just couldn't compete with disney being so close yeah and if you aren't managing and running it right it just wasn't going yeah and unfortunately it didn't yeah did you know that there were two versions of the circus running every year there were two versions mm-hmm. no i thought it so, would just be like the one show no there were actually two shows that would run in two-year cycles you had a red unit and a blue unit and hmm. so you would get one show would come through your city one year and then the next year the other city or the other show would come through that's actually a really brilliant business model because then you know the people aren't getting bored with the same show over and over again Exactly. And you don't have to create a new show every year. You only have to create yeah. a new show every two years. Well, you have to two create years. two yeah. new shows, but I mean, it's a circus. You're going to have a lot of common similarities between the shows. Right. As it is. I mean, okay, you know, there's going to be clowns, you know, there's going to be elephants, you know, there's going to be trapeze artists. It's just a matter of, yeah. you know, putting it all together and coming up with a theme. So the trains that they used were almost a mile long. There were roughly 60 cars. Uh, about 36 passenger cars, four stock cars to hold the animals, and 20 freight cars to hold all the equipment, staging, and everything. And in fact, in the early 2000s, for a while, they operated a truck-based gold tour, which was a smaller scale version of the circus that they would use to go to smaller markets that couldn't support a big, giant three-ring circus. Yeah. It was like in a major Like a city. full-blown deal. Yeah. Right. This would go to like your smaller towns and stuff. Back in December of 2017, so only a few months after the circus closed, a movie mm-hmm. premiered. One of my legit favorite movies, and I'm sure yeah. it's one of yours, The Greatest Showman. But did you know the backstory to this movie? Like, is the backstory in the movie actually based on truth? No, I mean like the legit, the whole production backstory to this movie oh no i don't know the production no (laughs) so back in august of 2011 20th century fox announced plans for this movie all the way back then before they even filmed yes it took that long wow it took six years for this movie to be made and people who worked on this movie probably are like it's never happening pretty much i mean this movie was stuck in what's called development hell that's where Ugh. like movies that just are that's the official name they have for movies that just kind of never get made and but eventually it finally did and we have all been 
enjoying it. Great movie. You said The Greatest Showman came out in 2017? Correct. December 20th, 2017. See, and I didn't get to watch it. I think, like, I just personally didn't go and get it from the library or see it in the movie theater or whatever until I think it was 2000, like, almost just before 2020. So, like, Christmas of 2019 is when I finally watched it. Because you remember I messaged you. Yes. I was just going to say, I'm I'm remembering this now. I was like, how did you me a while. Yeah. And everyone, there's been so many people in, in our cosplay community that are like, you haven't seen this movie? Like, this movie's amazing. And I'm like, fine, I'll watch the movie. And of course, now I have like the soundtrack on my Spotify playlist. So I clearly really enjoyed the movie. You, you liked it just a little bit, eh? Yeah, it's good. <laughs> Speaking of things people like. Yeah, I was going to say, this is not the only uh, film that we both really like. No, no, it is not. And it is on. May 25th, 1977, a little movie, might have heard of it, called Star Wars, was released. Although and the world almost, was changed. In fact, in 1989, it became one of the first films selected by the U.S. Library of Congress for preservation in the National Film Registry, and it was deemed to be culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant, because there's a ton of special effects work and stuff in this movie that was... Oh, yeah. Groundbreaking for the time. I mean, sure, you look back at it now and you kind of go, okay, that's a little, but for the technology at the time to pull off a lot of that stuff was incredible. And in 2004, the soundtrack was added to the U.S. National Recording Registry and was later listed by the American Film Institute as the best movie score of all time. But I mean, it is a beautiful score. It's phenomenal. It's really hard to beat. And we've had this discussion about some of our favorite scores on a previous episode. Yeah. 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 Did you know? So, of course, most of the movie takes place on Tatooine, and it's a real Mm -hmm. deserty look. Did you know what George Lucas originally envisioned the planet to be? Oh, he didn't want it actually to be a desert planet? It was originally going to be a jungle planet. Oh, more like uh, Dagobah. Yeah. Or like the Dagobah system with Yoda. Yeah, so they had actually traveled to the Philippines to begin scouting locations, but the idea of spending months filming in the jungle didn't exactly appeal to George Lucas, so he refined his vision, and Tatooine became a desert planet, and, you know, I think that probably wound up being the right call. Yeah, you can't really imagine, you know, that whole story not starting out on Tatooine. It just doesn't feel right to think of it starting anywhere else. I know. I think it was, it wound up being one of those happy accidents led to a piece of cinema that we are still enjoying all these years later. What, okay, so here's the ultimate Star Wars question. What is your favorite Star Wars movie? Which one's my favorite? Yep. I mean, either A New Hope or um, Return of the Jedi. I'm like, I'm original three. A lot of people say Empire. So it's interesting that you went with the first and, and the third one. Yeah. Oh, my brother, he loves The Empire Strikes Back. And I'm like, but why? And he's like, because the bad guys win. It's great. And I'm like, but why? <laughs> like, my little heart can't handle the villains winning. Uh, spoiler alert, if you've never seen the movie. Um... I, that ship has sailed, my friends. If you're, <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't watched Star Wars, I'm sorry. Fair enough. I mean, to be fair, the titles themselves kind of give it away. I mean, right. the, imp- yeah. the Empire Strikes Back. Well, that, okay, you can only strike back if you've lost. So they must lose in the first movie. And then if 
Return of the Jedi is the movie after that. Well, Return. Well, that must mean they have to come back. Well, you come back from a butt woman. So, I mean, the titles spoil themselves. We still haven't given away major spoilers. Yeah, it's not like there's a certain character that's the father of another character or anything. Yeah, or siblings. Yeah. That. Yeah. 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 A share an awkward moment. (laughs) Yeah. But now this always leads to the ultimate question. Star Wars or Star Trek? It's not even close, Star Wars. (laughs) See, and for me, I was introduced to Star Trek first. And I really love like the political intrigue and the um, like the various groups of different aliens having to work together and the Federation and all that. So I love Star Trek. I'm just going to blame that on you being Canadian and things just being backwards. <laughs> I just love it. And it actually ties into our, a next little mini segment in, in terms of, uh, you know, our our podcast here with May 23rd, 1994. Star Trek The Next Generation is going to air its final episode titled All Good Things. And of course, once it it ended, then it was like a a leaping off point for Voyager, which is probably my favorite. And then we had Deep Space Nine. And I mean, the the latest one is Picard. So it just, of course, that series ends, but Star Trek lives on. But yeah, I just always, I mean, I think most people do say that they are more Star Wars than Star Trek. Uh, there was a recent poll, well, not like, I guess it's not so recent anymore, but 2017, and they asked individuals whether or not they were Star Trek or Star Wars. 46% of people said that they were Star Wars, but 14% were Star Trek, um, 12% were I hate them both, 14% was what's the difference, and 14% was I love them both. Okay, so, so Star Wars won, that's all that really matters. Star Wars did win, so I am, I'm the lone duck on this this idea but i do love me some star trek i like star wars too i just was brought up on star trek first i i just never got into star trek i mean i've seen some of the movies i've seen some of the shows but it just didn't connect with me like star wars although star wars i didn't grow up per se watching star wars i didn't really get into star wars until i was in middle school See, and I didn't get into Star Wars until middle school, too, because um, like late middle school, beginning of grade nine, grade 10, because my I had a friend who was really into Star Wars. And that was when the re-release came out. And so she was like, let's go to the movie theater and watch the the restored versions of the movie. And I'm like, OK, I've never really paid much attention to these movies. And I like them. It was really enjoyable. I guess just my my heart is Star Trek first. So I, the first time I saw Star Wars, I was in sixth grade and we watched it in our English class. Oh, interesting. I mean, obviously, you know, it, it took a few days to watch it because you're in class yeah. for you know, 45 minutes or whatever. So you've got to kind of watch it. So you got to like flip the tape halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> right. We, we legit were watching it on VHS. And, and for the ultimate yeah. nerds out there that are listening, we were watching like the original VHS version. This was before the restored uh, THX versions that everybody got all worked up about where he, George Lucas mm-hmm. starts editing the movies and, and everything. Oh, don't even get like, so Andy, part of my attack cosplay, right? My my other half, she yeah. was like, no, do not even bring it to her. She hates it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So at least, you know, when the 
the second trilogy. That's funny. But did they were they were they trying to show it to you and like because I I know I know people do it when they are connecting it to Shakespeare because you can have connections to you know Hamlet and things like that. Were they was she trying to do anything or is it just for fun at the end of Grade Six? No, I we were. I don't remember the the tie-in to it, but I know we had like mm-hmm. a worksheet that we had to follow along with the movie. <laughs> Your with. teacher was really just tired. That's that's <laughs> the whole. Could have been. I mean, I would never. <laughs> no, never would you do something like that with your students. Um, so, so I was a fan at least. So, uh, you know, I subsequently would rent the other two movies mm. and watch them. And this was before the re uh, the prequel trilogy came out so mm. I was, and have been a fan since that's awesome i know people also then claim like not only do most people claim that they like star wars more but then they they argue the money point which i mean i think with even recent developments in terms of like the mandalorian and now you know like the bad batch coming out uh that their their profits have even further exceed this number but they said despite having similar uh, number of films the profit Films by. I, I think this is just Darth Vader using the Force to eliminate you talking <laughs> positive about Star Trek. Could could you repeat what you have just been trying to say for for our fine listeners? The fine listeners. So I was saying, in terms of roughly having the same amount of films, uh, you know, Star Wars, the films have exceeded the profit of star trek films by six times and the entire <laughs> franchise the star wars franchise how gross is star trek by four times now this is from an older article so i would argue that it's even way more than four times because oh yeah of like mandalorian and and the bad batch and all like the newer uh, renditions of the cartoons so they did say it's tricky because you can't discount novels memorabilia video games or other factors into account but Star Wars tends to be top dog. Yeah, if you're just going by just the movies themselves, it's definitely going to be Star Wars. There's no Star Trek theme park. There's no Star Trek theme park. Not yet. One day a girl can dream. Our, an interesting trivia point, though, for your you know beer trivia-ness when bars open and we can go and do those things again, is that this last episode is the highest ratings ever received of any episode of any of the seasons of Next Gen. So... That makes sense. I always find yeah. it interesting when you have finales for series because, you know, especially if it's promoted well, people a lot of times will come back to watch to see how it ends. Because, you know, if a show mm-hmm. runs for, you know, six, eight, ten years, over time, typically, you know, the, the viewership will decline because people yeah. just kind of lose interest. They move on. Characters, you know, actors change out something. You know, things always happen. But it's like, oh, the finale. Well, let me go back and see how it ends. Yeah. And they, the writers did say it was a Valentine to the fans. So it really was written for the fans to completely thoroughly enjoy. And so anyone that wasn't really a fan wasn't going to be totally enthralled with it. But I liked it. That's good, though. If you're, good, if you're doing something like that, you got to do it for the fans. So. Yeah. Yeah. And we do the show every week for you, the fans of our show. Our fans. Yes. And we thank you so much, considering we know that the audio has been on and off the last couple of episodes, actually. <laughs> yes, but we are fixing that. And uh, all yep. audio issues this week are purely internet related. So, yes. You yeah, want to blame it's hard somebody, to, it's, don't blame us. Well, it's hard to, you know, have total consistency when we're like, what, 2000 or yeah, 2000 miles apart. 
something like that yeah and yeah unfortunately you know internet issues are a thing sometimes but we thank you for joining us and if you didn't make it to the end of our episode well i hope you have internet issues for a very long time yeah like i hope you're not able to get your netflix working or disney plus yeah or any of it and you guys got hulu we have crave just go read a book none of it yeah by candlelight no yeah. <laughs> joke yeah do all that because you know you didn't like it to the end but since you're still here May your streaming be successful, your books be read under a lovely lamp, and your day be pleasant. Mm-hmm. As always, guys, if you have questions, concerns, queries, or freakouts, you can reach us at the Time Machine with Trisha Mike at gmail.com, the Time Machine with Trisha Mike on Instagram, or if you pop that into the Google machine and go to YouTube, you will find us there too. Please hit subscribe and like and help us get a legitimate name on YouTube. That'd be great. Yes. Or we'll, you can also message us on Anchor and we can include a voicemail. So you can tell us, are you a Star Trek or Star Wars fan? Star Trek fans, you have to help me out here. Don't listen to her. And we'll catch you next <laughs> week right here on the time machine if our internet works.